Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Uh, But it's great to have uh, two of my boys here this morning joining us. So Psalm 73, and really this is a reminder, as Asaph was a worship leader, that we can sort of lose kind of perspective in life. And I think that we all face it, certainly living in the 21st century. It's kind of his personal testimony, if you would, of how he got out of his spiritual funk. Ever gotten to a funk before? You feel like things should actually feel better because I'm a believer, right? I should be able to see like more good happening in my life than what I'm actually seeing right now. And sometimes you lose sight of what God is doing in your life and what he wants to do in your life. You start looking at somebody else And that's exactly what happened to Asaph. He begins with a foundational truth. In fact, we'll read together the first three verses, Psalm 73. Here's his personal testimony. He says this, Truly God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. Why is that, Asaph? He says in verse 3, For I was envious of the arrogant, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph begins with a foundational truth. And it's important when you have moments of where you lose clarity in life to have a foundational truth that you fall back on. And his is this, that God is good. I know that to be true. And yet Satan is always challenging some of those things that we know to be true. He did it back in the Garden of Eden when he came to Eve and, and, and said, has God really said these things? You know, you shall not eat of this tree. The reason why he's not letting you eat of it, Eve, is because he knows it's going to actually make you have a better life. And God's withholding something good from you. And so the enemy's always been attacking the, the facts about who God is and his goodness and his love for us. And that's what happens here in this moment. Is God good? If God is good, why, Asaph would say, to somebody who doesn't love God or even have a concern about God or his kingdom or even human beings, why does he seem to be blessed and prosperous? We ask those questions. If God is good, why is there crime? Why is there suffering? Why is there etc.? The contradictions really of this, the goodness of God and the prosperity of the wicked, man, it really just kind of rattled Asaph's kind of brain. He believes that God is good. It's an anchor to his life, but he almost drifted away, and he said in his own testimony, he almost slipped up. A truth that he believed is that God is good, but he only saw another truth that was a half-truth. He saw the highlight reel of the wicked, and he said, man, that looks like that God is actually being really good to them. It's easy to look around, right, and to see how good others have it, especially those who don't serve God or maybe they have no concern about uh, other people and, you know, and God's kingdom. Uh, doubts like this are not uncommon. That's why I love the, the Bible because it gives us real life. He attacks this head on saying you're going to have moments where you're going to struggle when, and, 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 and wrestle with, God, are you really good? And that's what happens to Asaph. He continues, we know God is good, but it looks like God's a little too good to the wicked. Like that they're actually being hooked up in a way that he feels like that he should be being hooked up, right? So he gets in this funk. How did he get in that funk? He tells us in verse 3, is that he lost sight of who God is. He lost sight of what God was doing. And he put his eyes on circumstances and other people. And he said that he was envious of the arrogant when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
He looked at life from like a zero to 70 or 80 rather than zero to eternity. He's looking at life here on earth and, and in the moment rather than looking at the big picture. And I think that that happens to all of us, right? We only see what's in front of us. It's that uh, those of you that struggle with your eyesight, you might have what they call myopia, right? It's nearsightedness. You can't see in the distant, you know, like out there, but you can see everything in up front of you. Well, that's kind of what happens to him. He sort of has a spiritual myopia, if you would, where he sees only what's in front of him. There's an interesting passage Jesus tells us about Two different lives that you can live. You can live a life that says, God, I'm all in with you. I'm going to serve you. And he describes that life as a path that's very difficult. It says in Matthew 7, Jesus says, you can, eat, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow. And the road is difficult. And only a few ever find it. As Asaph begins to look around, he has sort of like a momentary lapse of perspective. And it's as if, like Jesus describes, these two paths are on like parallel tracks. And you as a believer on this narrow path going like, I'm having another trial come my way. But my coworker, a brand new, you know, whatever it is. You just look around at life. Oh, gee, it looks like their family doesn't have any issues in it. You know what I'm saying? Like leave it to beaver type of family. And you go, man, we feel chaos in our household or in our extended family. He says, that looks easy. That looks pleasurable. There's no tension or friction on that road. And yet, we know that the reality is, is the devil only shows us the highlight reels, you know what I mean, of other people's lives. And so, he's kind of in this moment where he feels like God's cheating him. And so, he, he, he begins with this foundational truth, but the next few verses he's really wrestling with this question and it's I want you to think about this you have two opportunities to have perspective about your life you can have an earthly perspective which raises questions in fact you're writing it down we're going to look at his earthly perspective from an earthly view he asks the question is serving God worth it and that leads to another question is God really good he says my faith almost shipwrecked why? Because of envy. He looked at those other people. He envied a worldly man when he compared his life to that man's. You know, envy is a sneaky little sin, isn't it? In fact, it, it makes the top ten commandments that you and I often break. You shall not covet, the Lord said. Why would God call you and I to not look at another person's stuff or life or, you know, what they have going for them? Because it destroys your ability. It actually like blurs your own vision for where you're at in life and what God is doing and who he is in your life. It's a sneaky little sin. It begins to poison, if you would, all the good that's going on in your life. You know a great way to actually like kind of have a, a, a really poor perspective about your life and God's goodness? Social media. There's a study years back the BBC did, and it said, it said this, Facebook makes people feel worse about themselves. <laughs> Have you found that to be true? They're like, oh, I'm going to go and scroll. And everyone's like, oh, look at my kids. They're better than your kids, right? Like, oh, look at my life. It's better than your life. Oh, look at my body. It's better than your body. And the Lord's like, no, I'm going to stop right there. There's lots of factors that go into that, right? But you just start looking around. Lord, he asked, why would you give him a great life? 
when he doesn't care about you. He described in verse 3 as the arrogant. He's filled with pride. He walks through life as if he owns the earth. But it's a short-term point of view. It's an earthly view, if you would. And it keeps him asking that question. Like, is God good? Is it worth serving God with my life? You know, Satan inspires people to live for the moment, to live for pleasure, to only see what's right here, but to forget about where this path is actually taking you. So this question, why should those who live opposed to God be better off than him, those who trust God? That road that you and I go down, it's filled with tough times, right? It's not easy. You have to make tough decisions in, in, in this life. That narrow path, it means you choose humility over pride. It means you choose forgiveness over retaliation. It means that you pray for those who persecute you rather than actually trying to get them back. It means that you deny your flesh in those moments of temptation. And it means you take up your cross and you follow your Lord and your Savior. That's not an easy path to go on. And many young people leave their faith in the church because that myopia, spiritual myopia, it seizes them as human beings and they say, what good is there in serving God when really I could just live life like every other college student or every high school student or any other you know, young professional? What did he observe? He says, man, they have a trouble-free life. If you read on, you'll notice some descriptions. And some of these don't like translate into our world. In verse 4, read on with me. It says, for they have no pangs until death, and their bodies are fat and sleek. I've never seen like a fitness Instagram account, like hashtag fat and sleek. That was actually a good thing to say then. Don't say that to your friends today. What's up? You look fat and sleek today. They are not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of, human, uh, rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them, and they find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, and they increase in riches. All in vain. Notice what he starts wrestling with here. From his earthly view, he questions, is it worth serving God? Is God good? Verse 13 and 14, he says, In vain I have kept my heart clean, and I have washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. We'll stop right there. So he goes on and he begins to just describe their life. They're physically fit in his mind, right? They live a healthy life up to their death and they don't have any pain in their death. They're super healthy and then they're like, okay guys, I'm going to go away now. And it's just like painless and with ease. He says that they're fat and sleek. It was a sign of blessing and health. So that could be your follow-up if you actually choose to use that on somebody's uh, Instagram comment today. Verse 7, their eyes swell out, which was a sign of prosperity. And yet, Asaph recognizes that they're morally corrupt, yet they're evil. They wear pride like jewelry. They're clothed with violence. They are cruel human beings, the way they treat others in their jobs, 
in their companies, in their neighborhoods. They're so full of themselves, he says, they boast and they brag about their accomplishments and they step on anyone who gets in their way so that they can get to the top. In verse 7 8, he describes their heart like a cesspool. That's what's going on inside, and it flows out of their mouth. In verse 8, they have no regard for other human beings. In verse 11, he says they have no regard for God himself. When they ask the question, how does God know? How does God see? Who is he that I should live my life concerned about what he thinks? And in verse 10, it says no one questions them. It's like they just get away with it, and there's no accountability in what they say or what they do. And it's as if Asaph says, and everyone just says, oh, you're doing great. And they just sort of go along, and they applaud them on this path. And he describes them as financially secure. In verse 11 and 12, they're always at ease, and they get richer doing it. It's like you're on Instagram going like, are you kidding? You guys are on another vacation? And they come back with more money in a great tan. In verse 13 and 14, Asaph begins to sort of question. Again, earthly viewpoint. Zero to 70. Zero to 80. And he begins to say, I think that it's not worth serving God. I don't know that I actually should be on this path. He questions his life choices. Since I started serving you, some of you might feel Life got more difficult. You know, we sell Christianity in the 21st century in the American church. is like, accept Jesus Christ, right? You'll have a hot boyfriend, your teeth will be whiter, and there'll be money in your account, right? And if you tithe, oh, man, God's going to really hook you up. I know rich people who don't tithe. I know poor people who do. And their bank account doesn't go like, you know, hey, I tithe. Oh, my gosh, my car turned into a Tesla? What happened? I'm going to give more. I mean, you watch Christian television, that's what you think would happen. You should write them and say, hey, why don't you give my church some money and see if God continues to hook you up. Just saying. I wouldn't stop you from doing it. And then he says, since I've been on this path, I'm stricken. You know, that's something that's kind of by chance in his mind. You know, a lot of people were stricken. A lot of people get plagued with life, Right? But then he moves on and he says something interesting. He says, and I've also been rebuked. He sees that as God after him. I've been stricken and I've been rebuked. Life happens, but Lord, some of this is your direct doing. I feel like that you're actually out to get me. Again, life from an earthly viewpoint, he's seeing these guys are blessed and I'm struggling, and God, your hand is behind it. It's as if he might say, God, you seem to prosper the wicked and punish the godly. It pays to serve the devil. I think we all know life circumstances. And by the way, when we say, you know, good people, there's nobody good. We know that. that there's, but there's people who are trying to serve God and, and have embraced God's grace. And you look at their life and you see the difficulty that they face might be a, a couple who's like years and years and years tried to have a baby and you're like adopt me like you would be phenomenal parents you know what I mean and you know other people maybe that are a part of this world or the people we went to school with or people in your family and you just go like oh no 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 they should not be a parent God like don't like let them leave the hospital with that child <laughs> you just go and and they just look at each other and they get pregnant you go that's inequity right life from an earthly perspective it feels like there's inequity. Like, God, you're blessing them, 
these people were struggling, we're guilty of this too. God, it feels like you don't care. And yet a foundational truth we know is that he says, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Lord, I don't feel like you're hearing me. And yet Jesus has already told us, ask and you shall what? Receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. Lord, it feels like you don't love me. Again, spiritual myopia. I'm having difficulty right now, God. It feels like you don't love me. You know, the one thing that we can look back as you look through the corridor of time, you can see a, a, a bloody cross with a perfect Savior hanging upon there. And Paul tells us in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So we have all these foundational truths, but it's so easy to get caught up with this earthly view. Is it worth serving God? Is God good? And he lost his perspective. In verse 15, he said, I, I kept these things to myself because he's like an honorable person. He's like, I don't want other, other people to start stumbling too. Like, hey, have you noticed that so-and-so is doing good and you're not? Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like we should start a campaign and tell God, like, God, you need to change some of these things around. He says, man, I wrestled with this. Notice what he says in verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Lord, why are they blessed? Why are they not? And look at verse 17. Here's a turning point for him. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, until I went to church, until I got into God's presence, he says, then I discerned their end. Truly, you have set them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. There's a turning point in Asaph's life when he actually comes to this realization that life isn't meant to be lived for a believer with just an earthly view. You and I are called to have a heavenly perspective or an eternal perspective, not zero to 70, but zero to eternity. There's things that God is doing that right now you don't see and you don't feel blessed and loved, but God has already been a part of blessing you and those blessings are going to continue to come down your life. They just might look different than you think right now. He went to church. He got a broader view that he gained. Time with Jesus, time in worship, time in his word, with his people, and you and I get a fresh, eternal perspective. The place of that perspective is the sanctuary. Now, Asaph, that would have been the tabernacle that you read about uh, in the Old Testament or the temple that Solomon had built, and it was this fixed location where, where God promised to meet with God's people. You and I, we don't, it's not like God says, I am only at that dirty cafeteria at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. The idea is that, Lord, I need to meet with you. I need to be in your presence because when I'm not, I slip back into an earthly view and I begin to question, did I wash my hands in innocence? Did I choose to start following Jesus Christ and it was in vain? But when you're with God, the perspective changes. You see things from a different point of view. The focus is now on God and his life and not his problems or not other people. And when you and I get out of sync with the Lord, we don't have a meeting with God's people as a high priority in our life or meeting with God in his word or spending time with him in his presence in prayer. 
boy, we can get back into that, that stinking thinking in our lives, if you would, right? But when we're there in God's presence, isn't it amazing how you just feel like, man, God is speaking to me. I've had actually people come up to me and say like, hey, man, did my wife call you this week? I'm like, no, direct message. No, I'm just kidding. You just feel like, did, did, I felt like that, that God was speaking to me directly. Has it ever happened to you in church before? Listening to a song of worship, opening your Bible, and all of a sudden it leaps off the page, and it's like, oh man, that's exactly what I needed to hear. See, that's where, that's where God wants you and I to be, in that place where we can actually hear from him. And then it clicks for him. What was I thinking? What am I doing? He understands life in light of eternity, and not this brief moment on earth. I think of our young people, man, and how I pray for them so much. That they, would, that they would choose to live their lives in light of eternity, serving the Lord in the days of their youth so that they don't get distracted by the lies of this world that says, look, oh, this is going to make you happy and don't serve God. You washed your hands in vain or in innocence. You want to say, man, nothing in this world. In fact, I could have every single one of you that's in my decade of life come up here and say, and give testimony like, yeah, you think that that's going to be satisfying in your life, but it's not. Only a relationship with Christ is actually going to bring true peace and joy and satisfaction in your life. We can look around and feel envy for other people. We can feel cheated, but these roads are leading to somewhere. And Asaph is reminded a reward is coming for serving God. And there is accountability for those to choose to stiff arm God and not serve him. Jesus said, what will it profit a person if they gain the whole world and they forfeit their soul? He sees their end. And now he's moved from envy to pity for them. Looking at eternity, is a life given over to sin really worth it? Asaph says no. He realizes that they're actually deceived. And God's silence is not his approval. One day, every human being will give an account to their life. And Asaph gets clarity about their journey, as well as his. He sees them that they're in slippery places. One day, a phantom, and there'll be a memory like a dream. You know, the Bible tells us that the fool says in their heart, there's no God. Not their mind. We talked last week, Psalm 19, in God's creation, how it speaks a thousand sermons to the human heart alone. But a fool says in their heart, there is no God. Unfortunately, just because you declare that to be your truth, it doesn't mean that it's actually real. They will stand before God. Every person will stand before God and give an account to their life. This idea that, well, man, I partied on earth. I remember when I was a new Christian at, uh, as in high school and talking to my friends about, like, oh, this is why I'm not partying anymore. They're like, dude, it's our senior year. You're missing out. I actually had one friend come and do, like, an intervention, if you would, a reverse intervention, I think it's, it would be, because he heard, like, I was just going to, like, all in with bodybuilding. I'm not going to party and do, you know, dumb things anymore. And he came over, like, to kind of shake me up. Like, it's our senior year. You're going to ruin everything. Well, I saw him at our 20-year class reunion. I don't think I missed out on anything. And, uh, I mean, think, that's kind of weird, isn't it, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it? And anyways, I don't even know why I brought that up. That hasn't happened for a while. Talking to friends who are partying still, that's what it was. I'm like, dude, man, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, man, it's an empty road. And the mindset is, well, man, I'm partying on earth. 
I'm going to party in hell. You know, we treat hell like it's a, a ride at Disneyland. This fictitious little world, you know what I mean, that is a, a three-hour wait still. But it is not this place that is like, well, you know, yeah, I won't be in heaven. Jesus told us a story in the Gospel of Luke that describes life eternally separated from God. And this rich man who had no regard for human beings or for God, and he ended up dying. And it says that rich man lifted up his eyes in torment. And he had memory, he had regret. You know what's strange? He actually was praying in hell for God to send someone back from the dead to go warn his brothers to not come to this place of torment. To think that you may have a relative somewhere in eternity who's praying that your eyes would be opened up is kind of creepy, and yet it might be a reality. He tells us in verse 21, his confession, I love it. He says, Lord, what a fool I was. When you pray, I hope you don't think you have to put something on for God because he already knows. You know, the best, the best prayers before God are honest ones. Lord, what a fool I have been this week. God, I can't believe that I was willing to go down that path. Lord, I can't believe that I was thinking that that would actually be better off with that kind of life when I know better. He says, now I see clearly. He's been healed of his myopia. Eternal perspective is now a game changer in his life. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying, notice this, the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. He was looking ahead to his great reward. But because Asaph was all fixed on what the other guy had, he lost sight of all the good things that he had already received from the Lord. He forgot the blessings that God poured in his life. And now he experiences life from an eternal view. And he has a change of heart. He says serving God is worth it. And by the way, God is good. All because time with God in his presence. And you get lifted from this earthly view and you see light, you see life in light of eternity. Life is good with God. Serving God is worth it. You notice in verse 23, he says, nevertheless. I'm continually with you. You hold me, you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom I have whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but for me Notice what he says. This is his declaration. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Life from an eternal view, he says serving God is worth it and God is good. And he sees now his present and eternal blessings that belong to him. And these spiritual possessions far out any material ones because those are temporary He says, God, you're good. God, I'm wealthy. I see it now. 
What does he tell us? Well, one, he recognizes that, Lord, you're with me. God is with me. Well, that's enough to sustain a, a person's heart for the rest of this life, for you to recognize every single day, God is with me. I love the songs we sing this morning. It's as if we actually planned it. And I'm so thankful for Joe that he did. <laughs> God is with me by grace. God is not with you because you are good or you're righteous or you, you know, that, that you've got an upper hand on everybody else. God is with you because you've humbled yourself and you said, Jesus, I need your grace and forgiveness. And he comes and he occupies our heart and our life. And, and Asaph says, God, you are with me. Right? The presence of God in my life based on his grace, fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. David says in Psalm 16, in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures evermore. He says, you hold me with your right hand. Speaking of friendship with God and this closeness that he had. I remember this is about 30 years ago. I was probably 19 years old. I went to a mission conference that was here at People's Church and there was this missionary from China who had been locked up for his faith and had, uh, you know, been arrested, actually pastor in China. And, uh, and he talked about how he was in this, in this prison. They made him do the most disgusting uh, work every single day. He had to actually get into the cesspool where all the, you know, prisoners, you know, you got the picture. And he had to move it along with sticks. He had to move it along so it would actually go outside and into the river. And he actually found that that was actually the best place that he enjoyed the most during the day. And he talked about how he could spend hours with God in prayer without being harassed by uh, prison guards. And he said he, he would sing this song. Maybe you grew up listening to this song uh, in the garden where he would sing where Jesus walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever known. I mean, that's 30 years ago I remember hearing that song and him sing that song about how he was there. I mean, just the, maybe your life, you feel like, man, I feel like I'm in a cesspool. Take a step back, get an eternal view and say, but God, you're with me. You're with me in this difficulty in life. He says, number two, God guides me through life. God is the one who will guide me with his counsel. As I search his word, his spirit directs my life. He gives me wisdom, how to navigate trials that you face, how to help your spouse or parent your children, or what direction your life should go in. The fact that God is with you and that God guides you became very real blessings in his life, and he was no longer envious at the other man who seemed to be getting hooked up. And then he says, third, God will welcome me into his kingdom. When it's all done, He'll receive me into his kingdom because I've chosen to put my faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I will hear as I step into eternity, well done, my good and faithful servant. When you put your eyes upon eternal things and you say, God, serving you is the best life and you are good. It's as if he says, God, you're with me and you guide me and I get the hope of heaven too. Lord, you truly are good to Israel and all who have come to you by faith. Now I remember, Lord, why I actually turned my life over to you and chose to believe in you. Because God is good and serving him is worth it. He has a changed perspective. He says, God, you're all I want in heaven and you're all I want on earth. In verse 28, he says, it is good for me to draw near to God and to put my trust in you. Maybe this is you today. Maybe this morning you need to be healed of your spiritual myopia. You just, your perspective has been lost. It's found in the presence of God. It's found when you say, God, 
I'm going to look to you. God, I'm going to get with you. I'm going to actually see that you are good. And maybe today, that's what you need is a set of eternal eyes. Man, this morning as we worship, ask him to change your heart. You know, I, I told you earlier that you know, we try to encourage you and each one of us to take some next steps every single Sunday. And in your connection card, there are some next steps to take. Maybe for you this week, it will be, I'm going to memorize verse, verse 28 of chapter 73, along with other Christians here at RBC, so that I might hide God's word in my heart and I might meditate on this truth. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. And maybe for you, it's that, God, I'm going to memorize that verse this week. I'm going to fix my mind on what is true and what needs to happen in my life. God, I need to be near to you. Maybe your next step might be that you're going to commit to set aside 10 minutes a week to meet with every God every single day this week. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, right? Hey, the God of the universe, do you have 10 minutes for him? The reason why we say 10 minutes is because I know the reality is that that's, you could make that happen. I can make that happen. And so often we leave church going like, man, I really want to connect with God this week. And then you actually look back at your week and go like, you know what? I guess it's going to be next week. Set 10 minutes aside. Make a commitment, jot it down on that connection card so that we can be praying for you and to know that, man, there are people who are actually taking this next step. And maybe for you, it's maybe today's a day that you actually need to know the God who created you. I mean, we talk about how God is with us and how God guides us and how God will welcome us into his eternal kingdom. That's for those who have surrendered their hearts to Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, Man, I don't know that I know God. You know, I think that Christianity is about doing good and, and trying harder, and then God accepts you based on you and your effort. That's religion. Religion is human beings attempt to reach God. Christianity teaches that God reached down to humanity. He lived a life among us, a life that none of us could ever live. He was the God-man. He was fully man. He was fully God. And that's why God could accept his sacrifice on the cross when he went and he gave up his life on the cross 2,000 years ago. God put all of the wrath that sin, my sin, your sin, all the sins of this world, and he laid it on his dear son. And Jesus exchanged in that moment, Paul talks about, that, that, that God made him who never sinned to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And in that moment, God did something amazing. He canceled out all of our sin, everyone who's put their faith in him, and he's given us a true righteousness that we can never earn or deserve. And that's how a person's made right with God. You realize that you're a sinner. You admit to him you're a sinner. You ask him to forgive you, and you're willing to turn away from your sin. You believe that Christ died for you on the cross, and you receive him into your heart. It's more than just a creed that you believe. It's actually God coming and taking up residence in our heart. Jesus told us in, in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he says, I will come in and dine with them. And they with me, it was this picture of relationship, fellowship, where you're restored back into a right relationship with your creator. And maybe that's the decision you need to make this morning. And there's a spot on that connection card saying, today I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus. Would you all pray with me now? Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you for this opportunity that we might see that there is a brother centuries back who, Lord, he, he spent every day in your sanctuary. Lord, he was one of the uh, his profession was to, to lead people into your presence. And yet, Lord, he lost sight. And we do too, God. 
I got some friends here today that are struggling with some spiritual myopia issues. God, they're looking around at other people's lives. They're looking at their life. They see circumstances that don't add up, that you're good. Lord, change their perspective today, God, as they meet with you. Lord, as they confess to you like Asaph did, Lord, what a brutish person I was that I believed things that weren't true. And Lord, would you, would you, would you heal us all, God, of that today? Give us all the ability to connect with you this week. And I pray for those who are making those commitments, God, to, to begin to put effort into the relationship with you. Lord, I also pray for those who are here that might not know you, God. There might be one person here today that needs to surrender to you, God. And you're speaking to their heart right now. And God, they are ready to turn their lives over to you. I pray that you would speak to them, God. Reveal your awesome love, God, in their desperate need for you to be their Savior and their Lord. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today.